Welcome back to On The Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect on various businesses of the COVID pandemic and how companies have learned to survive and some thrive during these difficult times and beyond. I'm your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came about as a result of my realization as an advisor and attorney for numerous companies in various industries all through the New York area that this pandemic has permanently changed the way that business was being done and had to be done. It has such a diverse effect on industries, some in a positive way, most not, that it's important to address the reality, the fiction, and what the future holds. Sponsoring this series of podcasts is the Strategic Forum, which was founded in, in 1999 in New York City and expanded to 2004 to South Florida. It's an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect and trust and continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Current membership in the Strategic Forum represents a diverse group from public and private businesses and organizations. And today I am really excited because we have two New York City icons to discuss the future of New York City post-pandemic and what, if anything, could be done to bring it back as the capital of the world. The accomplishments of both of these men are so long that we could use up our, our time just going over their achievements. But briefly, Scott Shea is the founder and executive chairman of Signature Bank of New York. Since 1980, Mr. Shea has been involved in the investment banking and venture capital industries. He's also, I guess it's another side of Scott, uh, a best-selling author, uh, a book that I just finished of his, In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism, has been recognized as one of the best books of 2018 by Mosaic Authors, and earned a finalist award from the National Jewish Books. Uh, John Casamitidis is a New York legend. Starting in the grocery business as a delivery man for Sloan Supermarkets, he's managed to grow an empire that includes grocery chains, oil refineries, real estates, and media, which he, uh, he's now the owner through his Red Apple Media of WABC Radio. And uh, also has a morning show, uh, and I believe something in the afternoon on the um, uh, on the uh, on the uh, show. Uh, WABC Radio. WABC Radio. So uh, John's an experienced uh, radio uh, listener and a participant, and uh, becoming a star in his own right. And he's also a former candidate for mayor, so we can touch briefly on on how politics are are affecting uh, what's going on. So let's start off with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a question to both of you. Uh, what do you think are the major things that government has to do to help New York City come back? Scott, what do you think? I think government can play a really important part in bringing back New York City. Uh, I think that the, the guts, the, the fabric of New York City, small business on the street restaurants, retail, of sellers, vendors of all sorts. And those folks have really been pummeled by on and off regulation, by over the years heavy enforcement of very restrictive regulation. And I think that this is a this is a source and in, in the, the on the street retail is a source of entry-level jobs for diverse communities, um, for minorities. And it's so important that this sector be brought back because that's what gives the life 
the, the sort of the, the, the sense of life of the city is getting the streets re-enlivened. And I think the city can do a lot of things. I think it can start by, it may need to subsidize to some degree some of the opening costs. I've suggested that a opening cost subsidy be part of the last stimulus bill, um, which it didn't make. But I think government, local government can do that. And it also has to try to regulate in the right way, not in a sort of picky uni. We're going to, you know, you didn't file Article 4, Section 6, Subsection 5013X. Rather, is there really a problem here? Um, I've heard many business owners complain about uh, somewhat gratuitous and arbitrary regulation. So I think there needs to be uh, that sort of, we need to get the, the, the streets alive again. And I think and I think government can really help. And John, what do you think government can do? I, I know that you're very active in the, uh, in the Republican Party, uh, which is not uh, a party that uh, used to be uh, represented in New York by uh, people like Rudy Giuliani and, uh, and former Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, it's a different New York City now. What do you think government can do or should do well, I, I, I am a middle-of-the-road person. Uh, I vote for the uh, and support people that uh, will do the best job uh, and the most important thing, honesty and integrity. And I think uh, both sides have uh, uh, problems. I think extremism on the right is very bad. Extremism on the left is very bad. Uh, I'm the middle-of-the-road person. I supported uh, Bill Clinton. I, I really... Uh, like the guy, and uh, uh, and uh, he was a great president. And uh, I said one of the reasons I supported uh, Donald Trump is because of even though he made a lot of mistakes on a personal basis, uh, I think some of his policies on on the borders, some of his policies on energy, some of his policies on uh, America First were very important. Uh, I have uh, thousands and thousands of uh, uh, employees in the energy business. Well, by supporting Donald Trump, I was supporting those four or 5,000 employees in the energy business. And you see what's going on right now. Uh, they're trying to bring down the entire oil sector for no reason at all. It's, it's dumb and nobody knows what's going on. And I can go on for, for, for 20 minutes on just the oil sector. And I've, I've done it. Uh, but right now, by destroying the Keystone Pipeline, um, the OPEC nations, uh, Saudi Arabia and the OPEC nations win, and America loses. And it takes some explanation to tell you why, but America loses. They're losing they're losers jobs. And since uh, the uh, election of uh, President Joe Biden, who I think is usually a middle-of-the-road guy, uh, oil has gone from $50 to $61 a barrel. And uh, you know what that means? You know who suffers? All the poor people and the middle class people of, of the United States, because they're going to be paying more for, for gasoline. They're going to be paying more for food uh, because of transportation. So the American people lose. This is an artificial tax on the poor and the middle class. And there's no other way to look at it. It's a tax because... Uh, if the prices of oil goes up because of the actions they take on uh, attacks on the fossil fuel business. And the United States and Canada, we have 100 years 
worth of uh, of oil in the in North America, and we win. We, we were self dependent. Uh, President Trump took it from eight million barrels a day to fourteen million dollars a barrel a day, which panicked. It panicked the Russians and the Saudi Arabians, which ended up attacking and bringing oil down to to five or ten dollars a barrel to put the United States out of business. And uh, until the king of Saudi Arabia woke up and says, the prince, you're wrong, and, and, and fired the prince for a new prince of energy, uh, and the prices of oil went back up to $40, dollars $50, which is a, a sustainable for all sides. Well, guess what? Right now, uh, all Americans are paying more, and, uh, but the, the bottom line is, um, you know, I, I like common-sense Democrats. I like common-sense Republicans. I, I like common sense people, and right now America is losing the battle. Uh, the I'll take one more item: the uh, the Paris uh, uh, Accord. Well, nobody's telling you that right now the lowest emission standards in the world is the United States. The highest is China. We have to comply tomorrow morning, and I'm exaggerating a little bit. China doesn't have to comply to 2035. What is that garbage all about? You know, we got to worry about uh, America. And my other uh, thing, the border. I believe in immigration. I'm an immigrant. I believe in bringing people in. But checks and balances. We have to know who's coming, who's going. We don't want bad people coming to the United States. We don't want MS-13s coming to the United States. We don't want bad, uh, you know, uh, checks and balances on who comes in in immigration, I think is very important. Uh, what say you, uh, Scott? Well, there's a lot to talk about on the pandemic, and, uh, and and I think you've covered a lot of macro issues. I, I, I think that there's, in terms of Republicans and Democrats, more specifically in New York, and just turning it back to New York City, I think we really, really desperately need good governance in New York City. Um, we need a bringing together um, and not a uh, – not as – and Howard raised this sort of in the pre-conversation, which is we need to worry about tribalization. We need to worry about us and them and remembering that we're all New Yorkers. We ultimately all have a uh, – we ultimately – want this city and want each other to thrive and i think the unfortunate part is we've moved in very much into uh, our own you know thinking of thinking of all of this as uh, a a win-lose situation as opposed to a win-win i i agree with that scott i you know i i want to point out something that that you uh, uh have spoken about uh, many times which is idolatry and tribalism that it, it used to be that people could disagree now if you're a, you know if you're a democrat or a republican you just don't disagree with the other side you hate the other side and um you know and, and and i have an issue with you know i'm a lifelong republican but i'm a more moderate republican like john is and i've never been a big fan of donald trump to tell you the truth but a lot of people are making donald trump into almost like an idol like uh that Whatever Donald Trump says, his fam the famous line that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose any supporters, that 
it's really not uh, allegiance to the Republican Party, Republican ideals. It's allegiance to Donald Trump um, and how that's affecting our politics in, uh, in New York and in, in the country, actually. Uh, John, what do you think of that? Well, I, I think Donald Trump grew up as a rich kid. You know, uh, I grew up uh, in Harlem. Uh, I didn't have 10 cents to my name. Uh, the first business uh, I went into, I put zero dollars down and I had to pay a $10,000 note, $1,000 a month for 10, 10 months. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, uh, I, I think, was seated by his father and, and advanced him uh, $500 million or whatever it was. And, and uh, you know, he and he tried to do well. I mean, um, but he uh, he grew up uh, going to uh, military school and and uh, he was almost grew up being a, uh, a, 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 a I guess I hate to say a bully. Uh, but um, uh, and uh, he. And he was a, a cadet captain or a cadet colonel or whatever he was in, in, in military school. So when he went to Washington, it was almost a reflection of what he did in high school and uh, uh, or college or whatever. Um, but uh, I think he, he did love America. He did not want war. And I told that to all my friends, all my liberal friends. I said, Donald Trump is the only president that has not encouraged more war. And the military hated him for that because the military wants conflict. That's the only way to get promoted. Uh, and he was in the middle of withdrawing forces from Afghanistan. We've been there for 17, 18 years. He was in the middle of withdrawing uh, troops from all over the place. And the military hated him for that. And don't forget what Eisenhower once said. I, I consider Eisenhower one of the most honest uh, presidency our country ever had, beware of the uh, military-industrial complex, because the only way they make money is by selling more bullets, more rockets, more guns. But John, and, my, my let me stop you there. My my issue is not with Donald Trump really. It's with the followers of Donald Trump, the people who believe in in him. Uh, regardless let me, of what let me, let, are. Let, let, let me stop you there. Uh, the television set, uh, the television, the cable channels go against Donald Trump for one riot that he did, may have or has not started in Washington. How about the 126 riots in all our cities in, in America during the summer and the, and the fall? 126 riots burning down Portland, burning down Seattle, burning, burning down everything. And not one Democrat said it's wrong. Not one Democratic uh, governors of, or mayors of those cities said it's wrong. And instead, they condemned the cops. What is going on in our country? But this that is wrong. Excuse, but I have to say, I, I'm, I, I here. I have to jump in. That doesn't excuse the president of the United States, whatever the, that person's name is, from encouraging what he encouraged on January 6th. I mean, that. But he did not. I hate to argue I've with you. To it, I've listened to it myself. 
The, okay. the thing, I mean, look, the last part the of the speech is he was he was peddling he was peddling conspiracy theories about the election, and he was riling up whether or not other people should have exercised Scott? restraint is one thing, but he's the Scott, president. He's I love you, say, He's supposed to say, "Stay peaceful, stay peaceful, stay peaceful." He's not supposed to say. He's not supposed to say. In that kind of charged environment, that's what we—that's what we have presidents for. Whether they're Republicans or Democrats, I can't think of any president since but Andrew Scott, Jackson to use that kind of language. Scott, uh, you're wrong. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. All the major outlets avoided giving the full speech of the president of the United States. The the last words of his speech, and please look it up, where it says, "Go in peace." And patriotism. Go in peace and patriotism. He didn't say go and tear down the Capitol. And I think someday we will find out the truth why the Capitol Police did not have adequate protections. Someday we're going to find out the truth why the National Guard wasn't called in. And it wasn't up to Donald Trump to call in the National Guard. The, the Capitol Police report to the Speaker of, uh, of the House. I mean, you know, let's look at it legitimately, calmly, and that's why we have round tables because we all have to discuss it with each other. And I don't think we know the whole truth. Now, they first said that that cop was banged over the head, and that's why he was killed. That was not true. He, he asphyxiated uh, with all the chemicals going around in that place, number one. Then they, they, that one woman that got shot by the cop, we don't have full disclosure what happened. That cop shot that woman, and she, he should not have done it. And those people that were there breaking down the windows lifted her into the spot. They lifted her up and put her there, and that cop specifically shot her. I'm going to have to say yeah. that, you know, whether you or anybody or Donald Trump liked it or not, he lost the election. He did. He lost the election. He, he lost the he election. Michael Pence to use a, I mean, to use a, a technicality, not even a technicality, the law of counting the electoral votes is probably unconstitutional. That day shouldn't have happened. And... And, he, uh, I, I and, did say and, and, that Donald Trump made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. And it's going to live on if he's going to be remembered in one thing. The second chapter, the second paragraph of his, of his obituary one day is going to talk about January 6th. So well, whatever well, else, let me ask you a question. Who killed Kennedy? Well, you know, here's the problem. Here's okay. the problem. We, you know it wasn't Os you know it, it, maybe Oswald was involved, but you know that wasn't the way it went down. The same people that killed John Kennedy killed Robert Kennedy, killed Martin Luther King. And I don't care if you have 11 Warren commissions, nobody tells the truth. So now the Nancy Pelosi wants to start a commission. You know you're not going to get the truth. That's the problem in our country. I will give you one additional thing. One additional thing. Uh, do you know why Donald – he was supposed to uh, let out the entire Warren Commission uh, report. Do you know why he didn't? 
I, I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell us. Okay. He didn't do it because one of the people responsible for the death of John Kennedy was still alive. Well, I'd like to try to get back to um, uh, to the New York City effect. Now, you know, the 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 um, really New York Scott, City is in yeah. deep, deep, deep trouble. Well, I think that's and New York State is yeah. in deep trouble. Well, New York and I said last night on the radio in front of a million people. I said last night, I don't understand because we have a we have a Democratic president, and I salute the president of the United States. Why is California? Why is Illinois, why is New York State, which represents a large portion of the overall economy, hindering the reopening of our entire economy? Well, I, I think that, uh, that that part of it is that, that half the country feels that, um, that we can't safely do that right now, and, uh, and the other, the, the Democratic side feels that way, and the Republican side it seems to become wearing fast face masks and, and opening up businesses become a Republican Democratic issue, and I think that's part of the tribalism in that uh, that that Scott has has written about. Uh, I, I I do think that's part of what's going on, and this is what can this is really what, and I sadly sadly think we're in a civil war light, in that we have two different essentially two different tribes in the United States, each with their own God King. And truth is whatever you're told by your God King. And so if on the one side, people on the far left, people tell you truths about the need to make all housing public, the need to um, defund entirely the police, then that becomes truth. And unfortunately, on the far right, you have emerging groups who are using all sorts of really hateful, racist um, so-called troops like QAnon, which is just – and what happens is, is that on each side, filling in these blanks, and John touched on it, and this is a huge and a deep conversation, is we've made ourselves susceptible to conspiracy theories. On all sides, and conspiracy. The problem with conspiracy theories is they're not falsifiable. Um, they have to create their own narrative that people start to build on, and that's happening on the far right and the far left. And unfortunately, society pays a big price for that because we lose sense of what is really truth. You know, there are uncomfortable truths on each side in terms of 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 what we should be doing in this pandemic. And I would say this to you. I'll give you a few uncomfortable truths. In the beginning, we should have known we were supposed to wear masks. This was a, COVID is a respiratory disease. It primarily presents as a respiratory disease. And people knew that, scientists I think knew, which is why you can never say the science, you can't make the science become an idol either. But scientists knew that that was a reasonable thing to do. But again, we're afraid to, to to state it. In the beginning, and unfortunately, even Donald Trump admitted and has admitted has said that he knew this was going to be a worse event. That is something that 
should have been articulated. In the beginning, we probably knew that it's a bad idea to put old people in who have COVID in the same nursing homes as people who have don't have COVID. It is but a contagious disease. Scott, and we can follow don't we can follow the money. Follow the can money. Can I say one other thing? We yes, also sir. don't think about the fact, and I've said this, in and this may sound in in you know in it's not inhumane. It's it's actually could have changed the course of this last year is instead of doing vaccine trials the way they've traditionally done, we could have done so-called challenge vaccine trials where you actually get volunteers. And this would have been a big ask, but I think there would have been some Americans who would have volunteered who would have had the vaccine tested on them after being uh, or and subsequently being um uh, purposely but and voluntarily affected. But Didn't why has this, this, this become a political issue? Why is That's why does thing. it why does it become why does it become that you're disloyal to the Republican Party if you wear a mask, and it's you're crazy. disloyal to the Democratic Party if you don't wear a mask? And if you're in favor of opening up the economy, you're a Republican. If you're in favor of keeping the economy closed, you're a Democrat. Why is this? Schools. Yeah, and opening, and opening schools is the same issue. Why has this become this pandemic become a political issue, John? What do you think that is? I think that if you didn't have Operation Warp Speed, you would still not have a we we you would still not have a uh, a vaccine. I mean, Trump did miracles on that. No president ever ever got it done in six months. Number one. Number two, I had Dr. Fauci on my radio show on January 24th or 25th, and that podcast is available to you guys. And Dr. Fauci said, I I think the World Health Organization lied to him, and because they were his friends, he accepted the lie. Dr. Fauci says there's nothing wrong. It's all uh, just another flu, and you're welcome to that podcast. Guys, you have to know the facts before you start throwing uh, darts. And you know, maybe uh, I become a professional uh, n- uh, newscast person because I get the facts. I try to get the facts every day. Uh, like what's going on in Texas right now with, with people rolling blackouts. Do you know what's really going on? I can tell you. Sure, tell us. Well, uh, the, the, there's a cap on natural gas at three dollars and fifteen cents in Texas, it's gone up to three thirty-five. So somehow, everything gets broken and it doesn't work because those companies don't want to lose money on the difference, and they turn the shit off. Pardon my language. Okay. All right. So let's get the facts. The same thing with the rolling blackouts in California. It's just you know. Everybody has to keep an open mind. That's all I ask for. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Keep an open mind, listen to both sides, and then arrive at a conclusion. Okay. All right. Let me let me switch because we don't have that much time. I want to switch the topic a little bit. Um, Scott, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the um, the, the Jewish principle of uh, Tekin Olam, uh, to heal the world. Um, right. What can private industries and individuals do? to help bring New York City back? What could, what can, what do they need and what can be done? So thanks, that's a great question. And, and, and um, 
I think tikkun olam, repairing the world, is a is is what we're already all placed on this earth to do. Um, I think the core, and, and you've read my books, you know that I'm a big believer in the golden world. Don't do unto someone else what you wouldn't want them to do unto you, which is the most modest perspective of the golden rule. So when in the first round, first two rounds of PPP last spring, when other banks were, and I'm, so I'm going to give you an actual how that golden rule can be put into um, actual execution, actual life. When last spring PPP arose, and we realized early that every one of our clients, almost, um, because we're a big, small, and medium-sized business bank, right? We're the leading small and medium-sized business bank in the world in many ways. But we knew this was going to be a big issue, and we geared ourselves up. We changed 25%, 20 to 25% of the, my colleagues in the bank changed their jobs to get ready for PPP because we knew we didn't want to outsource it. We knew we had to get every compliant application through. So we did that. We we didn't say, oh, you have to be a member of the private bank. Oh, you have to be um, have a, be a credit client. Oh, yeah, or you have to have X profitability. We geared ourselves up to take every single application and get it approved. We had our own saying, which only a banker can love, no compliant application left behind. And so we ended up doing an incredible number, over $2 billion plus of PPP loans at that time. And we got every client through who was compliant. I mean, obviously, we had some applications that didn't, that didn't uh, qualify, and those we didn't put through. But People recognize that because if you were applying for 21000 or $2.1 million, we treated you the same. We treated you like we knew we wanted to be treated. We wouldn't want to be put in that place and put relegated to the bottom of the line if, 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 these, if the roles were reversed. And I have to say, I think on that – you know, it, it, we did it for the right reasons. Don't get me wrong, 100% the right reasons. But that feeling reverberated among clients, and they told other people. And it's part of the reason why the bank has grown so substantially over the last years. We, 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 we did the right thing. Um, we weren't expecting that anybody was looking. But people really pay attention. They know when they're treated like human beings. They know when they're not treated like categories. They know when they're, when, when, you know, we really want to make, when you really are caring and listening to the other person. And I think that's something we can bring into our business lives and we can bring into our uh, personal lives. And I, I think that's fundamental, viewing the world through the golden rule, can actually change New York, it can change the world, it can change business. And it can have us and prevent us from prejudging what 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 facts or what other people are doing, and to 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 actually underline or underscore in a different way what John said in a way, which is that rather than prejudge information by who's saying it, 
if you really want to treat everybody with the golden rule, you're going to listen to essentially everybody with a sympathetic ear and then try to figure out what truth is. And so I think the golden rule is really, really fundamental, even to understanding the world. Well, I think it's easier said than done, but certainly uh, it would be important. John, I want to take you a different place because I know what a great supporter you are of law enforcement uh, in New York. and, and I, I have uh, become chairman of the Federal Law Enforcement Foundation, representing all of, all of federal law enforcement, and, uh, and as well as state and city of uh, law enforcement. And um, uh, I think right now uh, they stand be- between... Uh, peace in our own cities and uh, rioting in our own cities, and they have to feel that somebody's watching their back. Well, so yeah, that's what I want to get to. So let's talk about this. In the minority communities particularly, there's a tremendous distrust of police, whether it's justified uh, or not, not justified. Well, I, I no, think... No, 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 let me, let me you tell you. You're, you're listening... No. You're listening to... I grew up in Harlem. I talked to the people in Harlem. I'm with the Police Athletic League, and I talk to all the people in Harlem, including the mothers and fathers. When they dial 911, they want the police to come. They don't want to have a lack of police. Don't, don't allow people to lie to you. I mean, people are lying and, and spreading falsies. If you live in Bedford-Stuyvesant and you dial 911, you want the police to help you. And you're not going to dial BLM. Because what are they going to do for you? And I believe in Black Lives Matter on the principle that Black Lives Matter. But I don't, these people that run that particular organization, more young black kids have died because of the false rumors that they're spreading around. Well, you know, they're, they're uh, ev- evidently, um, uh, it's clear that there is some segment of the minority population that while they need the police and they want the police, and I'm not suggesting that there's a, a mass movement to defund the police. If you have 35,000 policemen, there's, you're always going to have a few bad, bad apples. Right. Get so, rid of them. So that's what I want. Get to, rid of them. That's what I want to do. What do you think about the use of mandatory body cams by police officers so that while the police officers may be right 99% of the time and you have these instances where um, uh, people are saying the police officers did the wrong thing when – when they have to make quick decisions, I have no problem. I have no problem with uh, with uh, uh, with uh, mandatory uh, cameras, and I have no problem with with uh, facial recognition equipment, and they and, and a lot of people have it. And and do you do because you yeah, if I I'm not doing anything wrong, right? So you want to take my picture? Take it. So, so then you're, uh, you would support these initiatives to try to regain more trust from the people who don't have maybe enough trust, even though, even though they support police in a lot of things. I mean, I know that you're a great supporter of the police. I know the work you've done with yeah, the Police I Athletic do not, League. I do not have a problem with, uh, uh, with cameras. And I, I just want to – look, when you have 35,000 patrol officers, I, w- I bet you 99. Nine, nine, or nine. No, that's too high. Ninety-nine point five are probably good officers. They're always going to have bad eggs. In any organization, if if you have uh, ten thousand employees at a bank, guaranteed you'll have a few crooks. 
Well, well we try to prevent that. I mean, we, we have do uh, 1,700 colleagues, and uh, we don't we want do any cooks. Well, we don't want them either. Well, Scott, what what do you think could be done to uh, to lessen the uh, the heat or the tone between uh, the, the the people that uh, of these various tribes? Is there something that we can do to actually uh, have people look at issues rather than personalities uh, and, and to, to make things work again? Yeah, I do think there are a few things we can and should do. First of all, I think we have to make an effort to get out of our own echo chambers. That's really, really important. And I think we have to give the benefit of the doubt to someone speaking on the other side. So not immediately not immediately dismissing what someone who may have a different party affiliation or be in a different uh, situation thinks we have to think about, okay, how can that person be right? What, what it, is there any grain of truth in what they're saying? Now, sometimes the answer may be no. It's all made up. But sometimes it may be, okay, if I look at this from the other person's perspective, how can this be right in their eyes? Now, what I'm saying is not an easy thing. How can this be right in their eyes? And sometimes it may surprise us. Oh, that's what the other person is thinking. That's why they're doing this. That's why they're saying this. Let me think about it. And maybe that person has a, just a radically different perspective. Maybe they have a radically, they're coming from a radically different place. Maybe they're just wrong and making it up. But it's not easy. It's much easier just to figure out, just to listen to our own god kings, pharaohs, who are saying whatever they're saying. And, okay, those are my talking points. That's what I believe. It's so much easier to park our reasoning at the, at the door and just listen to what our, our god king says, you know, whatever that may be on the far right or far left, than actually puzzle something out for ourselves. And and that's not easy. It's it because we, you know, Aristotle many many, um, well, thousands of years ago, um, said there were three ways to convince people of anything. One is logos with with facts. One is with ethos by saying, oh, X Y Z said this. Um, you know, uh, someone on the right, someone on the left. You pick the names. They said this to their their authority, so I believe what they say. Or pathos. Well, you would be an evil person if you didn't believe X, or you're evil if you don't believe Y, or you're good if you believe X, or you're good if you believe Y. We're really now living in an age of pure pathos. You're good if you believe what I believe. You're bad if you don't believe what I believe. That's a really risky environment. we got to get back to, frankly, logos. I mean, Aristotle had some great, great... Uh, uh, great, great course of discerning truth. Again, the, what, about 450 B.C. or something like that, so 2,500 years ago. And that's what we need to get back to. And we flip around and we think we're very modern, but actually we're back to just being idolaters with our own god kings and our own uh, sets of beliefs, in some cases, and untruths. And, and in that sense... We haven't evolved that much. 
It's on us. It's on us to figure out how to do that. And I try, by the way, you were kind enough to mention my book, In Good Faith. I really try to explain what idolatry is all about and how it's really a set of lies about power and how to overcome it, how to understand it. And that's why I spent five years of my life writing that book with you you know, think, much of my Scott, discretionary free time. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Donald Trump supporters – now, I'm not talking about whether Donald Trump's done good things or bad things. or It's not about Donald Trump. I'm talking about his supporters. Do you think that Donald – and I'll ask both of you this question. Do you think that Donald Trump's supporters view, or a lot of them, view him as basically an idol as compared to just a the way they would view a, a Ronald Reagan or another political leader – that they view him as being um, someone who, who, who is uh, just without any kind of um, flaws at all. Do you think that that's how they view him, as, a, as an idol, as you define it in your book? So, again, I'm never going to put everybody in all one category. Right, but a but lot of his followers... I think that's a serious the, mistake. I think there's some right. people that believe that whatever he says is true. If you believe that, you're making a serious mistake. By the way, there are on the far left people who believe that whatever certain idols on the far left say is true, and they're making a serious mistake. That, that's really uh, – no one, we're all humans, we're flawed. It's possible to say that any leader on the far left or any leader on the right, far right, is, is, is right or wrong about certain things. But once you say that they have full possession of the truth, then yes, you're idolatry. You're idolatry idolicizing that person and that's how the road to hell is paved and, and john how do you view uh the republican party's future do you view it as uh, a mitch mcconnell type of uh let's get past trump and let's move on or do you believe that uh, well, trump is, is I, I, i'm considered I, I may be considered a new york republican and i was uh, a conservative uh, a democrat at one point the new york republican has to have a heart Mitch McConnell made a tremendous mistake. He lost Georgia. How did he lose Georgia? Because the people in Georgia, a lot of them are living paycheck to paycheck. He goes to Georgia and says, no, no effing way am I going to give you any more money on that uh, 2000 We're only going to give you that $600. Okay? The Democrats said, elect us. You'll have $2,000 each next week. Well, guess what? The Democrats won. And Joe Biden, the week after, said, yes, we're going to give you another uh, whatever, uh, the full $2,000. And that's it. So the Republicans have to, you know, the national Republicans have to learn how to have a heart. And they have to be smarter and learn how to win. And, 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 and you can't be fighting people that are living paycheck to paycheck and say, we're not going to give you a, a, a two chickens in every pot. We're only going to give you uh, what, a couple of drumsticks. Yeah. Well, that's I, what it comes down yeah, to, guys. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think and we, me, that's why I'm a liberal. <laughs> I think we have to, uh, to end. But I, I want to uh, – I think it's been a great discussion uh, I, I wanted if people want to hear more about uh, John Casamitidi's uh, opinions, and, and certainly he has many. 
Uh, I, uh, well, we'd I, love I'd for love you to you come to... on our radio show, well, uh... both of you, and we can continue this on the radio. Well, that's what I, I was going to. a million to, people. I was going to uh, to talk uh, to tell people that uh, they should turn into Cats Roundtable, which is his uh, radio program that airs on Sunday mornings on WABC. It's uh, a lively discussion. I may not agree with everything that's said on it, but it's certainly a lively discussion. And, and Scott. Uh, thank you. I've, I, I loved your book, by the way. I, I, the only book on religion that I've loved more, I think, was uh, Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Friedman, which kind of um, uh, you know, opened some eyes for me. But uh, yours raised so many questions. And uh, for anyone interested in religion, and uh, it's not Judaism, but religion and its, its, its purpose in history and its comparison to atheism and why religion still has relevancy, it's a fantastic book. Uh, to uh, to read. So I want to thank both of you for participating. I know that I you're both really busy guys, and I could go on for hours, but I know that you well, have important things to do, so um, I'm going to end it there. Thank, thank you, you both very thank much. You. Thank I you. I enjoyed this. I, I enjoy you. Scott's common sense, and I enjoy uh, <laughs> to talk. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.